Hi, welcome to Faith and Culture Now podcast. I'm Scott Schiffer, and today I'm glad to be joined by uh, Bethany Sons from Smith and Michael Dennis. Bethany, Michael, good to have you guys. Hi, thank you. Glad to be here, Scott. Thank you. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about uh, two things. We're going to talk about Beth Moore leaving the Southern Baptist Convention, and then we're going to talk about dealing with issues related to race relations in our churches. So it's pretty heavy topics, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, as we begin, we'll talk about Beth Moore, and I'm sure many of you listening to this have already heard that Beth Moore left the Southern Baptist Convention. She still considers herself a Baptist, uh, and a number of articles have been written about her leaving the convention. A lot of them have tended to focus on her uh, position on sexual abuse. If you remember several years ago, the Houston Chronicle published a few articles. In response to those articles, I wrote a four-part blog series for thinkingthroughchristianity.com on uh, uh, sexual abuse in Baptist churches, as well as the Me Too movement and how those sort of correlated together. But in that article, it talked about over 700 leaders and ministers in Baptist churches uh, being uh, registered sex offenders. And uh, in response to that article in the last year, the Southern Baptist Convention has actually said any church that hires a registered sex offender will automatically lose their position in the Southern Baptist Convention. They won't be allowed to stay in uh, as a way to sort of help combat this. Uh, but um, the way that this issue has been handled for years and years has not really been the best. And uh, not to fault anyone, there's many times where I don't handle issues very well. I think about when I discipline my kids and uh, we start the disciplining process, and then we end up somewhere where I think this isn't where I wanted to end up. But if I would have done this differently and handled this better at this part of the process, then my kid would have been in a different position later in the process. So uh, I certainly get that uh, we don't always handle things correctly, but um, that's something we need to be better at and do better with. Um, and then, of course, Beth Moore also was very critical of President Donald Trump because of the way that he treated people, the way that he talked about people and to people and so on. Uh, but I think what's probably even more important to recognize is that um, leaders in the Southern Baptist Convention did not really... Uh, oftentimes uplift her and support her as they should have. Um, I even read an article probably six or eight months ago from a Baptist theologian at another school. And uh, at, uh, uh, in this article, he said, quote, Beth Moore doesn't love the Bible. She hates the Bible. If she really loved the Bible, she wouldn't be doing what she's doing. Uh, horrible article, ridiculous uh, line of reasoning throughout the entire thing. And, um, you know, I think if you look at Beth Moore's ministry and you look at the things she stands for and the things she's done for years, there's no possible way you can argue that she hates the Bible or hates God. And um, so there's a lot of leaders that have said inappropriate things or demeaning things to her. Uh, I think another thing that uh, even outside the Southern Baptist Convention, you've had other male leaders, uh, such as John, um, John MacArthur, who uh, is famous for his go home um, statement about Beth Moore, which of course links this, this idea of the place of the woman is in the kitchen and the man goes to work, which is not really a traditional idea. It started in the 1940s that way, because when people came back from World War II, we were in such an economic time that it was difficult for people to go back to the farms. 
but people have make enough money going to a job that they can actually work and have a house and a car and other things without having to have both people in the family have a job. So um, anyway, all that being said, I don't think that MacArthur was necessarily saying that, uh, you know, specifically her places in the home. But I think what, what comes out of his statement is simply that he cared so little to think about his words and he cared so little for what he was saying to her that um, it, it sort of shows this, uh, this apathetic idea uh, that he really didn't pay attention to his words as he should have. And then the media sort of took that and ran with it. Uh, but if he would have been just thinking more about how his words affect and hurt and, and all that, he might've said something different in regard to her instead of just making a light, a light joke of it. So with all that being said, an article came out from the French press uh, that talked about uh, cruelty in the Southern Baptist Convention. And the article argues that uh, regardless of how you feel about Beth Moore, whether you agree or disagree with her, um, what seems to be consistent among a number of issues is that people feel in the Southern Baptist Convention that if they are just in their thinking, that it allows cruel to be, cruelty to be an acceptable way, acceptable line of uh, behavior uh, in sort of bringing about that justice. In other words, forget loving your neighbor, be as cruel as you can be as long as you're right. And uh, that's kind of what I want to go with this. So Bethany, what are some of your thoughts on this issue? Um, so yeah, I have some responses to some of what you said. Uh, so if you can't tell, I'm female, people listening to this. <laughs> Um, so I probably have a little bit of a different perspective and I, um, am not, uh, SBC and I think both of you are, I never have been, I am, I've been raised Baptist. That's my background. I went to Dallas seminary. They're non-denominational, but kind of Baptist. <laughs> sure. And then I live here in Portland, Oregon, and here we have, um, conservative Baptist denomination. And so that's what I've been a part of before, um, I'll, I also I follow Beth Moore on Twitter. I mean, I've known of Beth Moore for a long time, as most of us probably have, um, but she's very active on there. And that's where a lot of these conversations have kind of either started or really blown up. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been following her for years on there. So I'd say I'm pretty kind of like feel like I'm active in the discussions, even though I never really comment on anything. <laughs> I read them. Yeah, here in the um, yeah, so like I would say though, it's, I mean, it's much more a systemic problem with not only the SBC, but conservative Christianity, like evangelicalism, like conservative evangelicalism, right? And, you know, I think some of Scott, what you were framing as just like, <clears throat> oh, he just like John MacArthur, oh, he just didn't like think through his words enough. He knows what he's doing, you know, like he's been speaking publicly for years and years, he doesn't just accidentally say things, right? Like this was at a conference a couple years ago about her. I think it was in reference to her um, on Mother's Day, some church had asked her to speak on Sunday and that blew up and then he was like, go home. And I mean, I think he would be totally fine if she was just in the kitchen doing whatever, you know? Um, you know, like words come from your actual heart and your thoughts. It's not just like there's even with Trump, I've heard people talking about, 
oh, this is like the type of talk that you are supposed to keep behind closed doors. You have a public, like a public face and a private face. I've heard that from a lot of men in the SBC and just conservative evangelicalism. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge problem. Like that should not be true. Like someone like Beth Moore, I don't think she's like talking to her best friend saying totally different things than she says on Twitter or says like publicly, you know, like obviously you kind of present present yourself a little differently, but you don't say awful things about people, you know, like if that's what you really believe, then that's what you believe. So I don't think it's just like a watching our words sort of thing, like with the sexual, um, you know, the church to me too movement, sexual harassment, sexual violence, all of that. It's not just that churches, SBC, all churches really like this is a problem in Catholicism and a lot of churches it's not just that they didn't handle it correctly there's so much of no handling it mm-hmm. handling of it completely ignoring women when they come forward not only ignoring women but vilifying the women who do it just to protect protect their best friend to protect an, a pastor to protect like it's all about like power I mean, that's just when I think about it, like it just comes down to like this power structure and the certain people who want to stay in power and hold their power and love their power. And I was just reading another article where they quoted a Beth Moore tweet about racism, where she was saying like, especially in the SBC, she was talking about that the racists have just really been able to hold on, like they're out holding everybody else. Mm-hmm. So people who aren't racist need to hold on more. But I feel like that's what happens. And that's kind of the thing with like, I totally understand why Beth Moore left. But it's also it's like, that's what I've seen happen. That's kind of what's happened with me. It's like, you as a person, like me as a person, Beth Moore as a person, I can only exist in the system for so long before it just destroys me, right? And so it's mm-hmm. like the people who are I don't know the right word, right? Who like really are being mean, who are being evil towards other people who really are like likely not Christian, but they exist in this system because it gives them power. It gives them authority. It gives them money in some cases. It gives them whatever, right? Like they can outlast us because they're willing to do the things to keep that power where like, other people like Beth Moore are like, I'm out. Like, I'm not willing to take these steps that need to be taken to stay in power or stay as an authority or stay whatever, you know? And I say like, kind of referencing myself here too, because I like similar to kind of Beth Moore's journey. Like I feel similar where like, I don't really feel like there's a place in like conservative evangelicalism for me anymore and Mm -hmm. I don't really feel like my views or thoughts have changed that much but it just feels like it's gone this whole other way and that's not where I've been or where I feel like I've ever been and so I know there's a ton of people especially women who feel like I do and like Beth Moore does and we're just kind of like what (laughs) like what are we supposed to do now and it is, I mean, some of it is how mean people are being, but it's not just that they're being mean because people have always been like that, but it's like, 
it's like when when with Trump and like Trumpism and Christian nationalism, like that whole movement is very like I don't know the right words for it, but it just really gives into being okay to say to say out loud these things that people would never say out loud before. And so it's always been there. I think a lot of people just weren't aware of how present it was like, and that, you know, with racism, that kind of comes out too, right? Like you were like, where did all these racist people come from? Right? Like they've always been there. They just weren't talking about it as much. They didn't feel like they had a platform. platform. Yeah. Yeah. And with Trumpism, they kind of saw a way in with that platform, whether or not Trump necessarily was promoting that or not. Some people will debate that, but however it worked in society, it gave people a platform um, at the highest levels of government, of politics, of the church um, to start saying these things. And so we see it now. And so like, I, I mean, I do think like that's good that we can see it because now we can identify some of these problems but it's definitely a lot of issues right and I think they just come back to like people trying to hold power hold power over other people and like Mm -hmm. I don't know I could go on I (laughs) what are some of your thoughts I guess my first thought would be it's Bethany, I want to affirm your voice in this and your perspective in this. Um, your it's it's just good to hear because um, in the circles that I generally run in, um, I, I hear a lot of sort of the other side of this um, from people that I love and respect a lot, um, and who have been formative in my faith journey and in my. Uh, sort of formation as a person, as a believer, as a pastor. But I see very much the same thing that you're describing, um, Bethany. I, in looking at this Beth Moore situation, what I kept being drawn back to, especially reading that article, and the, the author makes a really good, you know, does a really good job of sort of teasing this out. If, if the core of our faith is the person and work of Jesus Christ, and we look at how Jesus conducted himself, lived his life, what his aims were when he was on the earth, and then the testament that's sort of given to him in the rest of scripture. Um, But I'll I'll specifically go back to Jesus himself. When he gets harsh and critical, and I don't know, he's never cruel, right? Because he's, he's sinless, but the harshest he ever gets is not it's always against people who are trying to hold on to their power by any means necessary. That's when, that's when he starts turning tables over. That's when he starts talking about broods of vipers. He's looking at those who are being marginalized, who are being pushed out, who aren't being listened to. And he's saying, pointing to those who are in power, um, you guys are cruel to these people and you have, subjugated these people underneath the system that you're building that has nothing to do with God's work that he's been doing since the beginning. And, and Jesus does a great job of sort of separating that out. This is God's covenant. This is what God's been doing. It culminates in me. And you have, in, in an attempt to build a fence around 
your power and and your control over the law and the way that you interpret it you've actually done the opposite of what god was trying to do in creation and in blessing the nations through the people of israel you've you've stagnated that and so to bring that into a modern context uh you know conservative evangelicalism founded in the 1940s uh trying to separate itself from hardcore fundamentalism but also not go the way of you know the, the theological liberals right trying to find this middle ground where we could be loving and evangelical and reach out to the world but also not um not lose the the love of scripture and the love of of the tradition of the church it seems that and again this is just my observation we've never been successful at sort of separating ourselves out from hardcore fundamentalism because that that always rises back up and it happened in the 90s and it's happening again where again as it says in the article we are more concerned about being right than we are about loving people <clears throat> we're more concerned about having things correct than we are about displaying the fruit of the spirit and uh you know bethany you hit on it it is it any wonder that there's this mass exodus from southern baptist life from evangelical life when there's this clear contradiction between what we say we believe and how we conduct ourselves on social media in person in addressing issues of abuse in addressing issues of race which we'll get into in a minute um I, there was a i can't remember the quote um or who said it i always forget this and i think i brought maybe brought this up in a previous podcast but um it's the beginning of uh of a dc an old dc talk song you know what an unbelieving world finds unbelievable is christians who claim the name of jesus and then go out and deny him by the way that they live and we will be happy to call people out that do that in terms of you know alcohol abuse or sexual perversion or whatever but there are these other sins that we seem to be totally okay with um and that's a really difficult tension uh for people to live in and, and so you know we, we see what what's happening yeah so you know i think it's a tragedy that beth moore left the sbc i, I think it's a tragedy for the sbc um, I think she was a beacon of hope to many people in the SPC. I think she'll continue to be a beacon of hope to those people, just no longer part of our, our um, denomination. Um, I'd also like to say that, you know, Bethany, you mentioned, you know, some of these things that people say or should be closed door conversations, right? And I think you alluded to this, but to say very bluntly, um, that speaks to a lack of integrity. You know, if people talk a certain way behind closed doors, that they don't talk in front of people, then they're not people of integrity. You know, you're to be the same person in all situations. And what should characterize Christians is love, love for one another, love for the world, love for God, so on and so on. I would also like to point out that, um, you know, there clearly needs to be more done in light of sexual abuse allegations in Southern Baptist churches and in other churches for that matter. Um, there also, you know, needs to be, uh, I think, more done in way of helping women find their role and find their place in ministry and in Christian life. Um, you know, 
I have students all the time who are female students that'll ask me, do you think that there's a place for me in the Baptist denomination or should I go look at other denominations uh, to look at being in ministry because of the way they feel, because of these uh, sort of overarching attitudes that you do get with conservatism? In the last couple of months, I have been really researching something called ex-evangelical or ex-evangelical, right? And uh, I'm seeing lots of videos and lots of things, uh, you know, articles and stuff from people that have left the evangelical faith. And I'm trying to figure out why they're leaving it. And I'm trying to understand, you know, what's causing this and what they're clinging to. And almost every single person that I have looked at who's given testimony as to why they've left the evangelical church, it has almost unanimously been because they feel marginalized, abused, or taken uh, for granted in the evangelical faith. It never, from any of the articles I've looked at, any of the videos I've watched from people, never has to do with wrong theological beliefs. It always has to do with bad behavior from people who claim to love Christ and then turn around and hate their fellow persons. Yeah, um, I mean, I think I think there's kind of two types of ex-evangelicals, right? mm -hmm. There are some who uh, really are like, I can't believe in like this type of God anymore, right? Like the whole, you know, especially the idea of hell and you know things like that. So I think there is that category where people have just totally left the faith. But then there are a lot of people, and I'd say like personally, I'm very borderline on this. I'm not quite like calling myself an ex-evangelical, but I'm almost there because it is, mm-hmm. it's like, it, I mean, it's not just how like I've been treated or I feel like there's no place for me, but it's like just these attitudes that we've already talked about and the fundamentalism that is so pervasive, but also like the s- systemic things I see. And it's not just SBC churches. It's not just like a specific denomination. Um, It's just so pervasive throughout. And it's not one thing, right? It's like, we can talk about the racism, we can racism, we can talk about the sexual abuse, we can talk about the treatment of women, we like, there's just so many things Mm -hmm. that have come out. And it's just like, how, like, how, like, how can I still exist in that system? You know, like you look at the system on the whole and you go, okay, here's what they say they believe. Here's what I see happening. And there seems to be no clear path moving forward to get out of the rut of the things that don't need to be there. Yeah. I mean, because a lot of, um, I actually was just looking at an article that I wrote on thinking through Christianity. Um, I think it was five years ago now, but it was about Trump. But one of the things I wrote in there was that I was at this church who um, they said that women, I don't remember the exact like thing they had in their bylaws or whatever, but you know, it limited women's roles in some way, but not very much, right? And so, um, but the pastor that was over like my, I was in a singles group at the time and you know, was saying that women couldn't like teach in that group or couldn't lead a Bible study if men were in the group or something. But like, mm-hmm. that's not what the church believes, like that church that I was going to, like they clearly, the way they had it written and stated, and I'd heard the pastor say, yes, women can do something like that. They can't say preach on Sunday morning or whatever, right? Or be mm-hmm. on the board of elders or whatever it was. 
Um, so there's a lot of like mismatch, even like from pastors at churches, from mm -hmm. people working in ministry. And it's just, it's like, okay, like, but you're at a church who says that's not what they believe. Like I can prove this to you. Right. And then, but you're like, not letting us do that just because you don't like, you know, it's like, then you need to leave the church of that. But it's yeah. like these people who are kind of trying to like, hold on to their power. I mean, like it was a white man. <laughs> Uh, right like right so it's like I feel like I'm not making a lot of sense now but it just feels to me like a lot of the people who they make the rules they're able to keep making the rules they're able to keep this going right and so the right. people who are or they're in positions of leadership so even if yeah. those aren't the rules they can enforce things that aren't right the rules that's yeah that's, that's what I'm trying they to say to yeah it. They yeah. just make up their own rules because they're the ones who are in leadership. Yeah. And I've heard some talk about like, can someone change a system from the inside? I don't know if you've heard kind of that thought where there's a lot of thought about mm -hmm. like, you can't be on the inside, like say you can't be on the inside of the SBC and actually change it from the inside. It has to be the pressure from the outside. Mm -hmm. so I don't know where I stand on that but that's an interesting concept like yeah that's interesting maybe maybe Beth Moore leaving will really like she'll be able to speak as someone who was in it forever and ever but she'll not mm -hmm. have kind of those pressures holding her back yeah because that's the other thing I mean I really feel for like pastors or like you know people at institutions like you are Scott where it's like your job is possibly on the line when you're speaking out about some of these things and it's like you know <laughs> and then you get blacklisted you can't get hired anywhere else like how do you support your family how do you get health insurance for your family like it's not just you know there's these systems that kind of keep the stuff or at least keep people silent right like because mm -hmm. what like, what are you going to do if you know you're going to get fired for something? Right. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. You know, this always makes me think of like Martin Luther, right? He wanted to change the Catholic Church from within the church. They kicked him out. And then the Counter-Reformation began from Erasmus and others who wanted to change the church, but were somehow able to stay within the Catholic Church. And they did make some corrections, but not to the extent that Martin Luther wanted to make. And so, um, you know... It, it makes sense that, you know, you can change somewhat from the inside, but without outside forces, it's hard to completely change. I think that's one of the reasons why I like that there's a lot of denominations out there, because different denominations sort of challenge one another and sort of should help keep people in check and keep people uh, asking questions. You know, are we believing the right things? Are we doing the right things? These guys are doing this differently over here. Is there a better biblical reason why we should be doing it that way? You know, so... Uh, I see value in that, and I see value in multiple perspectives. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I think it's important for us to, you know, really look at this Beth Moore situation, though, and go, look, clearly, you know, people are leaving the SBC churches in droves. Clearly, people are leaving conservative churches in droves. And we've got to ask ourselves, why is this happening? What are we not doing correctly? And how do we need to get this ship refocused and re-steered so that, uh, you know, we can figure out how to fix this problem and not, you know, so that we can get people back into the church. I mean, we like to do that, but really um, we need to be figuring out how to help people in our churches, not only believe the right things, but live the right way as followers of Christ. And um, 
you know, I teach Baptist history here at the college. And one of the things we cover in Baptist history is Baptist nationalism and how it's actually heretical and, and anti-Christian and goes against all the teachings of scripture. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's important to do that, but then you see Christian nationalism on the rise and you're like, well, why are, why are we not dealing with this in our churches? And uh, so, you know, one of the last things I'll say- will get fired. Yeah. So, I mean, right. Like that, right. I mean, some of the pastors probably believe that like in Christian yeah. nationalism, right? Because mm-hmm. I mean, there's also, I don't know actually how it works in the SBC. If you have to have a degree to be ordained. You do not. Yeah. I didn't think so. You might but, should. You know, <laughs> you yeah. Like not. in non-denominational churches, which is hmm. largely what I've been a part of, you don't have to have that either. So I think some people were never taught this history too. Yeah. Right? They don't understand some of these things maybe that they should. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I know a lot of it is people are worried about, like, not because they want to hold power, right? But because, right. like, what am I supposed to do if I can't work? Yeah. <laughs> like, like you, right? You're just exactly. like between a rock and a hard place, right? And so, um, yeah, it's just really difficult. I was going to yeah. just mention real quickly, too, I think, the response to COVID also has affected a lot of people, like seeing how churches, you know, the whole no mask thing, like not even being willing to do the barest minimum to like kind of respect your neighbor. Mm-hmm. I think that's affected a lot of people too. I know like different states are all over the place and kind of different things oh, yeah. with this, but for me too, like looking at some churches and how hard it was to transition to going online. And Mm -hmm. it really like showed me kind of where these like sacred cows are of like, we have to have a full worship team every Sunday. And like, it just like, there's so many disconnects happening right now between the way people Mm -hmm. are having to live their lives and the way churches are presenting themselves. And, um, it's like so it just feels to me like so much stuff has happened in the past few years that like it's kind of all crashing down now we don't <laughs> like, have a good holistic view of the faith is, is what it, it amounts to so yeah very good um the last thing i want to say about this topic and then we'll jump over into our other topic about new ways to deal with racism but uh is that uh i will say you know i i think there's a place for women in ministry it's a good place. There's lots that women can do in ministry. And, uh, you know, in the book of Romans, Paul mentions 10 different women by name who are on his ministry team going around discipling people, planting churches, and helping expand the early church. Um, recently, Criswell College here where I work full-time, we just hired Dr. Terry Moore. She's fabulous. She is our newest Greek professor, and she is one of the sharpest Greek scholars I have ever met. Uh, she's much better at Greek than I am. And uh, I mean, I took like 27 hours of Greek classes and, you know, so, um, but uh, I'm so happy to have her. And so if you are watching this and you're thinking, you know, is there a place in conservatism for women? There is, uh, but it seems like there's just a lot of stumbling blocks to getting where you need to be. And that's something as Christians, we need to really figure out in, in the conservative movement is, you know, how do we remove these stumbling blocks so that we can be more fruitful and more beneficial for the kingdom of God? Uh, but uh, with that being said, Michael, you want to talk to us a little bit about uh, it, dealing with racism in uh, conservative churches. So let's hear what you have to say. 
Uh, well, being on staff at an SBC church and having the forthcoming uh, um, convention in June, one of the big hot button issues and hot topics over the past uh, really couple of years, but specifically the last six to eight months <clears throat> has been this issue of, of CRT, critical race theory, and whether or not critical race theory has a place, uh, is it compatible, is, should it be a part of our thinking as Christians as we look at the world, as we address issues of race. Um, it's been a big question uh, in the convention, and you have people that have very, very strong opinions on this issue. Uh, some are 100% in favor of adopting all of critical race theory um, and saying, you know, this is something that, yes, is secular in origin, but it speaks truth. And so, you know, all truth is God's truth, that kind of thinking. So we, we need to begin to examine these power structures. We need to begin to dismantle, um, you know, the sort of white hegemonic, um, just patriarchy in some cases, because CRT does absorb a lot of um, gender theory and things like that as well. And then you have those who would say 100% uh, categorically no. As a believer with a, with a quote-unquote biblical worldview, CRT has no place in the life of a Christian because it was birthed from identity politics, Marxism. Um, it, it separates people out into tribes. It, it doesn't leave room for the gospel to take root and to change hearts. It's all about power structures, and ultimately it ends in warfare. It ends in division. It ends in, um, you know, things like that. And so many of us in, in Baptist life are sort of caught in the middle of this. Um, and Kevin DeYoung, who's a guy that writes for the Gospel Coalition, he's a very prolific author and, and speaker and preacher, um, a guy that I follow pretty closely. He wrote an article not too long ago, well, I guess it's been a few months ago now, uh, called We Must Find a Better Way to Talk About Race. And he's, he's specifically addressing this issue of CRT. And he, he brings up three, I think, critical points. Um, we talked about in, in the issue of, you know, evangelicalism, the treatment of women and things like that, a, a way forward. Um, that's really what I think a lot of us are looking for. We, we don't find ourselves entrenched on either side of this issue. And to be honest with you, what I'm finding is there are a lot of people, and he addresses this in the article, that just simply don't know enough about what it is we're talking about to make these value judgments. We, we hear something, we hear somebody that we highly respect talk about it, and we just sort of take their opinion. Um, and, and this is where, Bethany, what you were talking about, this power structure that exists, people who hold, you know, we, we don't have a pope in Baptist life, right? We don't have a pope in evangelical life, but we do have people that hold very significant influential power that when they say something, people just run with it. They, they don't go examine scripture. They don't hold these things up, you know, like the Bereans and say, you know, how do I tease this out? How do I make this work? Can it work? Um, I'll just give my personal take on the whole CRT thing. And then I'll, I'll kind of cover, you know, what DeYoung says in his article, but CRT as a worldview, um, I don't think works biblically because I don't think that it it started there. I don't think that it seeks to do that. It's just not what it, why it was created. It came out of critical theory. It seeks to deconstruct power structures, which there is some value in that. But I do think that it goes too far in these areas of uh, whiteness as a, an inherent form of evil 
And I realize that that's not always talking about skin color. I understand the distinction there that whiteness is really more about this retention of power and, and subjugating other races. But again, defining those terms is really important because for a white person who doesn't know that distinction, all they hear is, I have this thing about me that I can't control that I was born with and it makes me inherently evil. And so I don't really know what to do with that. Um, and so I think there is, there's a lot of danger in taking CRT too far. Here's the way that I've explained it to people. I think things like CRT ask really good questions. They ask questions about why things are the way that they are. Why are the numbers in, you know, incarceration in prisons? Why, why is the, the ratio of black people to, to white people or, or any other race really in America so lopsided? Um, why, why are drug, uh, you know, penalties the way that they are? Why does, why does cocaine get such a lesser sentence than, you know, crack cocaine that's sold on the streets? Why, you know, single parent homes and, and economic issues and the, the, the pay gap and all of these things, why are they the way that they are? And I think there is great value in asking those questions as a believer in Jesus, seeking to combat injustice on behalf of those who don't have a voice. Um, I don't think that CRT has good answers to those questions necessarily. Um, but I think what has happened is in looking at that through a biblical lens, we just, we throw the baby out with the bathwater. And more importantly, what I think has happened is that white, you know, middle-aged white men and older who tend to be in power in the SBC have made these unilateral decisions and these sweeping statements about CRT with no consulting of anyone else. There is no voice from the black church. There is no voice, there's no voice of, of women, clearly she's been pushed out. <laughs> um, there, there is simply this sort of unilateral, this is what we believe. And if you believe any differently, if you subscribe to this at all, you're a Marxist, you're a leftist and you have no place here. That's, that's what I'm perceiving. That's what I feel, that's what I hear, that's what I see on social media. So anyway, DeYoung brings up these three points that I think are really helpful. Um, he says, focus on ideas, not labels. Again, that Marxist leftist thing. When, when somebody brings up a, an idea and says, hey, what about this? Um, we immediately just wanna label them because it's easier. It's easier to just sort of push that idea aside because it's threatening, because we don't like it. Instead of looking at the idea as an idea, looking at the person as a person. And, and yeah, we may disagree about that, but I can still see you as a human being, not as the sort of, you're a part of this overarching group, right? I have sort of, I've slotted you in this group that I don't like, and I don't have to deal with you anymore. So he talks about that. He talks about um, approach the conversation with intellectual integrity and personal maturity. This goes back to the article about Beth Moore. Um, he talks about knowing what you don't know, uh, realizing that you come to the table with your own biases, your own uh, preconceptions, and just learning to listen and learning to hear out other ideas. And then, you know, again, do with them what you want. Filter them through your worldview. Filter them through scripture. That's what we're supposed to do. But when we come out the other side, are we mature enough to then continue a relationship with this person? Or again, do we do what we do on social media, which is put them on blast, block them, and we're done. Um, that's, 
it, it's not helpful. It's not leading anywhere good. And then last one, I think this is probably the most important of the three, be willing to work with a few common sense, both and propositions. We are, and again, this is not isolated in conservative Baptist or evangelical life. Uh, this is the divided uh, public consciousness that we live in. It is either or. You are either with us or you're against us. You're either a fascist or you're a leftist. You're either this or that. And he talks about, let's, let's try to deal in both ands instead of either ors. Is it possible that, in, in this case with CRT, that systemic injustice exists, but maybe and people have taken that to a level that is unhealthy and destructive and unhelpful? Yes, I believe that that's the case. Is it possible that somebody can be a conservative evangelical and also have a heart for social justice? I absolutely believe that. I think it's getting harder and harder to do that because again, you get labeled, but I think it's possible. And so dealing in and, both ands instead of either ors, uh, there's a, a movement that I follow on Facebook and Twitter called the and campaign. And it's, it's designed, um, this guy named Justin Gibney kind of started it. It's, it's dealing in politics, seeking, um, seeking righteous, moral action and social justice at the same time. Not, not uh, losing our biblical worldview, but being willing to address issues of injustice at the same time and not feeling like we have to choose. Um, and so I, I just found the article really helpful and I'm, I'm anxious to hear what you guys have to say on this issue, uh, what your experience has been and kind of how you, how you approach this. You know, I think that um, there's a lot of wisdom there, and I find that it's easy to sort of have racist ideas when you don't know people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I have friends who are Muslims and Jews and Sikhs, and I have friends who are, um, you know, Asian American and African American and, um, you know, other, you know, from other cultures. And the more you get to know people, the harder it is to uh, be racist towards their group, whether it be a religion or a skin color or, you know, I mean, I have friends from England and, you know, it's hard to be racist against people from other countries, right? When you know them and have a little bit of an understanding about them, it's easier to be racist when you don't understand. And I think when you have a group of people from a single perspective saying this thing over here is bad, they, they don't understand it, first of all, because they haven't looked at multiple perspectives. There's knowledge that comes from more than one perspective. And uh, so the way to gain that knowledge is to listen to other perspectives. And, um, you know, you need to hear what African-Americans think of critical race theory. You need to hear what women think of critical race theory. You need to hear what Asian-Americans think of critical race theory. You need to hear what Hispanic-Americans think of critical race theory. And from different perspectives, you're able to sort of get a better idea, a better holistic understanding of it. And then you can go, okay, so there's some good here. There's also some negative here, but we should take this good and use it for the glory of God's kingdom. And the stuff that's not here, we can say, hey, look, this is wrong. And the reason this is wrong is because it doesn't line up with scripture. It doesn't line up with what God tells us uh, about how he created this world to be. And so uh, I, I think it's a great article. I think you've covered it very well. Um, those are, I guess, my just initial thoughts. What are your thoughts, Bethany? 
Yeah, I mean, um, so one of the things you said, Michael, was um, that some people who are against it say it ends in division, and that jumped out to me because <laughs> to me it's like, well, it only ends in division if usually I'd assume it was a white person or white male saying that, right? Because you're then trying to hold on to like whatever in the system is you want to hold on to. That's the only way it really ends in division, right? Um, but I do like your comment about whiteness and I've heard that said before, you know, like whiteness is evil. And um, yeah, like being white, that's a very complicated statement. And I un understand, like you said too, like people are meaning it more as a systemic thing, like the system of whiteness. But yeah, like I, I struggle with that concept still. Like I don't fully get it because I'm like, but then, so I, but I'm white and I'm, you know, like I want to work to get out of that system. I don't like that system but I'm still white. Like, I don't understand how it's helpful to frame it that way or how, you know, and even just race as like, who is white, right? That's a very complicated question too, because I think technically like people from Latin America are considered white unless they're indigenous, right? And so there's just so many different concepts and things that get wrapped up in this and it's just hard unless you're really in it all the time to kind of separate some of this stuff out. And so I think some of these conversations that probably usually took place in like academia and there were kind of some systems to like figure it out better, like now they're on social media. And so it gets really like people are picking up different pieces of it and maybe there's not as much history that should be with it or different things, but um, so, okay, so Scott, something you said about getting to know people in different cultures, like, I think that's super important, but I do think, especially within fundamentalism and people who are in things like QAnon or really mm -hmm. like that group of people, I don't think it helps very much if they know people in those cultures because they compartmentalize. They have this way of they exist in two different worlds. Actually, I read this article about, it's almost like they're playing a virtual reality game, right? So they mm -hmm. believe like these QAnon type of things and they sort of have a little concept that maybe that's a different reality and they can switch back and forth sometimes. So I know like, I have some family members like this and they'll, you know, they'll have friends that are black or Asian or Hispanic or whatever. And they'll talk about them in such loving ways and like understand their struggles and like, and then on the flip side, if you start talking about politics, they'll say all these super racist things and like, you know, and it's yeah. like, how do you hold those two things in your brain? Um. So there's just a lot. I mean, there's so much with this, right? It's I think that sort of has to do too with people thinking things through to their logical conclusion. Can I believe this and this at the same time if they are inherently contradictory? I shouldn't, but if I haven't actually yeah. thought because I'm too compartmentalized, I may not even realize what I'm doing here isn't compatible with what I believe here because um, we haven't, you know, we haven't taken the time to think through things properly. Yeah. And you know, I think, well, I don't, I think 
social media has like exacerbated this problem. It was a problem before. Yeah. I mean, you can look at you know 70s 80s 90s things that was happening in like fundamentalism christianity it was all very similar to what's going on now it's just has a little bit more of a platform um yeah but i do just more on like the whole crt and race like i don't know i feel like the crt things a bit it becomes a scapegoat thing right it's like oh we have to be so careful of crt and it's like I guess like you know we can sit here on the podcast and like in your classes Scott or whatever and like debate it like that's kind of the place to talk about it but when Mm -hmm. it comes to practical applications or something like the SBC at the convention like condemning it or something like that just doesn't seem appropriate to me like it doesn't need to be done on that level because I think there are a lot of good things about it I think obviously like race yeah you know, especially with Black people in, um, you know, more conservative churches in the SBC, there's huge issues there. Like, I don't understand how people can deny that. Like, The SBC um, being too quick to condemn CRT simply shows their ignorance of the broader conversation in our culture about what's happening in our society right now with race relations. Well, they just want to shut it down, right? Yeah. They're, They're like, nope, we're not you know, Black Black Lives Matter is evil. All this stuff is evil. CRT is evil. We're not doing it. It's against the gospel. I mean, yeah, it's just so, I mean, it goes back to the whole thing we were talking about. Like, they're not representing how most people are living their lives, what most people feel, what most people see their friends, family going through, mm-hmm. their coworkers. Like, it's so like, <laughs> you know, like people talk about the ivory tower and that's kind of what it feels like. Mm-hmm. some of these people are just in this really secluded thing like trying to hold on to these yeah. ideas and the interesting thing too is I've noticed this more with people in the SBC like leaders in the SBC some of them 10-15 years ago I would say weren't as I don't know what you want to call it a fundamental Christian nationalist but they've progressively become more and more so and that it's interesting, like there's two tracks kind of, right? Like there's people who are going much more that way. And then there are people who are going much more the opposite way. And so there is this divide. Like I do wonder, I don't know as much as I should maybe about the SBC, but like just in general with evangelicalism, like it seems like there are these huge fractures in mm-hmm. it where there's a fundamentalist kind of wing. And right. then there's, I mean, I don't want to call it liberal. Like, there I don't know. There was a conservative resurgence in the 1980s uh, where it sort of moved away from liberalism towards conservatism. And it went to sort of a more of a middle ground conservatism. And now it's moving more to a far right fundamentalism. And you mentioned yeah. something, Bethany, about, you know, sort of CRT or, or BLM become these sort of catch-all terms that it, it is a scapegoat. It's, it's a way to dismiss conversations of race so that we don't have to have them because they're uncomfortable, because it's difficult to look our Black brothers and sisters in the eye and say, we haven't been listening. We have not been listening this entire time. And, and I guess that's been my, on my personal journey. Like That's what I've been trying to do more of is just simply listen and not make as many value judgments. I'm going to have, but also acknowledge the way that I see the world. 
you know, white privilege is thrown around a lot. And again, people get very up in arms about that term. I acknowledge that I, I look at the world from a very privileged position. Um, has my life been hard? Sure. Have I have hard, had hardships? Yes. But I have not had other people's hardships. And I won't assume that I know what that's like until I, and I, even if I listen to them, I still am not going to know what that's like. But again, in this, in this effort to retain, um, and I guess this goes to the heart of, of really hardcore conservatism, we, we start to idolize the present as if it's, that we've got to keep things as they are because they're somehow perfect. Um, and also we sort of idolize the past as well. And that's what's really happening in this Christian nationalism is, oh, we mm -hmm. need to get back to the way things were in, in the post-war 50s. Or the good old days folly. The good old days. And, and, you know, people of color and women don't think that those were the good old days. They just don't. And right. Like not, the majority of the population does not exactly, think, exactly, think that. Yeah. And so what do we, what do we do with that? It's uncomfortable. And I think it's, I think it's much easier to, to label things, dismiss things and attempt to move forward. I just don't know what that path forward looks like, if that's going to be how we handle things. Yeah. Um, because again, the exodus is not just women. It's not just young people. It is, it's people of color as well. They, they, are, they do not feel heard. They feel marginalized. And they're like, I'm out. I don't have a place. Yeah. And I do think that women, I don't think it's like been apparent and it may not be super apparent for a long time how much what's happened in the last few years has affected women, but I hear it from my friends. I see it, you know, I see it all over the place. And like Beth Moore is a great example of it, but I think a lot of women are just checked out. Like they may still attend church for their kids or their husbands, you know, especially if you're in a very like complementarian type relationship, like you're going to go to the church your husband goes to or whatever, but you know, they're just going to be kind of more checked out, like not get involved because they don't feel like they can, you know, when they get a chance, maybe like once their kids get a bit older, they may go to a different church. They, you know, like I, it's really, I think a lot of this stuff has affected women more than yeah. a, a phone survey can track, you know, <laughs> like, so I don't know when we'll see kind of the ramifications of that, but it's been happening for a long time too. You know, women have been I know we're talking about race, but I feel like it all sort of relates, right? Like women, even with race relations, I think, I mean, I'm not black, so I don't know for sure, but I feel like they've probably been getting the same message that, oh, we do accept you now. You can have these positions of power. Um, you can be a pastor. You can do these things. But then in practice, they're still being excluded from it. And women are still being excluded. You know, like it, it doesn't it's not matching up and people are finally like done with it. You know, they're not seeing the changes they, they thought were coming. Like that's what I'd say. I started seminary in 2003 and graduated in 2009. And I thought, Hey, like women, like, you know, women are being more and more accepted. Like people of color are being more and more accepted, but these changes have not been coming. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, it's not changed. It's been almost 20 years. And I've seen almost no change in these areas. And it's like, okay, like, yeah. bye, <laughs> you know? Well, Bethany, Michael, thank you guys so much for joining me today on the podcast. I think if anything, what we've learned is that 
there is a long road ahead to make right many wrongs that have occurred in our denomination in conservative Christianity as a whole and uh, in our culture. And so, uh, you know, I think that it's important to, to end just noting that scripture affirms the value and the worth of women. Scripture affirms the value and the worth of people of all nationalities and colors. Um, scripture uh, teaches that all people are created equal in the eyes of God and that they equally, men and women, no matter what ethnicity you are, equally bear God's image. And uh, so as you, uh, as you leave here today, as you, uh, you know, turn off this podcast, just think about what can I do in my small sphere of existence to help mend relationships where I can, to expand my views where I can, and to be a voice of reason and a voice of light, acting in love, and leading people to experience the kingdom of God for all the good that it can be. So thank you guys so much for your time today and for joining us on the Faith and Culture Now podcast. We'll see you next time.